Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, it's never my fault either. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll kick off things now. Um, you know, thanks for everybody who's, you know, joining and jumping on. Hopefully, hopefully this thing's gone live. I'm just testing it out um, this morning. Yeah, it looks to be good. So we'll rock and roll and, and see how we go. So this is the um, Barry Yamal Q&A, uh, which is where we interview Indigenous entrepreneurs and industry experts like Maddie and um, the Barry Yamal community can jump on, join the conversation and uh, you know, post any questions they have on the, the Facebook page and we can answer in time, so nice and live. Um, for the people that don't know, um, Matt is a proud Torres Strait Islander, he's family Harold from Arab Island, located in the, in the eastern cluster of the Torres Strait. Uh, you have a, quite, a, quite an interesting background and um, so you went from the Navy to accounting. Can you just give us a bit of background on, yeah, how do you go from a, a, a Navy officer, you know, sailing around, uh, complete freedom, having a bunch of fun to, you know, be crunching numbers? Uh, There are actually some similarities um, between the two. Um, But I guess the key thing was that I did what's called a look forward test. So Mm. I thought about where was I going to end up in five to ten years. And um, sadly, the the overwhelming um, experience seemed to be um, overweight, separated or divorced or my second marriage and uh, overwhelmingly not happy. So I looked at um, other career options. And I actually wrote, in physical wrote, an, an email and a letter to the two accounting professions, two bodies, um, to look at options there. And I also considered becoming an actuary as well. I looked at the timelines and realised that accounting was quicker. Um, but the key attraction was it gave me the greatest number of options as a career path. So I could go into, say, pure accounting for a company. I could public practice or I could use it as a stepping stone into um, banking or finance. Yeah. And how, how has that been so far? Like it's been, what, five, ten years now? Yeah, actually, um, this, this year's my, um, uh, in October will be ten years since I put my resignation in. Mm. Um, my, or April next year is ten years since I separated from the Navy. So, uh, yeah, I've now spent more time outside than I spent in. In service, so it's an interesting milestone to be. <laughs> yeah, and are you enjoying it uh, a lot more with the civil life? <laughs> you know, it's the little things. It's the ability to be able to go. You know what? I don't need to come to work today, or I'm sick. But you don't have to go to work to say you're sick, so you can get the day off. As I'm, I'm sure you'll remember from your days in the Air Force. Yeah, yeah, good old, good old Air Force um, days. So when I was a lot fitter and a lot slimmer. So, <laughs> so what are you doing yeah, now? Yeah, it's, what's, what's keeping you busy? What you well, started your own firm. Yeah, that's right. So um, launched uh, Saga September last year, and um, it's yeah, it's it's working well. It's starting to actually gain some traction within the marketplace, which is good. Uh, and nice. one of the things that attracted, one of the things that uh, made me, you know, an accounting firm to launch my own practice was that I thought that the um, accounting, oh, not the accounting world, but um, Indigenous SME were particularly ill served just because of the fewer number of Indigenous accountants. So mm. if I targeted my practice at that, 
um, that niche of the market, then there would be, I'd be able to grow my own business, really. And that, that's proven relatively accurate thus far. Yeah. And did you find um, there was a, especially a need, um, obviously um, there was a shortage of Indigenous accountants, but did you think just from a, a cultural point, a community point, um, that the, you know, the big four and the big accounting firms weren't really delivering on? Well, I, think, I think there's a, a number of issues at play. So one's technical competence, uh, the second is cost, and the third is cultural competency. So it's understanding the interplay of all mm. three factors. So you can have someone who's technically excellent, but they might be expensive, yeah. which will rule them out of the marketplace for community organisations or even um, a lot of SMEs. Um, and even if they are, they've got that, that cost factor reasonably priced and they're still competent, they may not be culturally equipped. So if I could set myself in between and where I can hit all three boxes, then mm. that's where I've positioned my firm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. And, um, yeah, so what's what's been your experience um, at the moment servicing Indigenous SMEs? Um, what have been some of the, the problems and challenges you found? Because you've done a bit of auditing with Oric too, I think. So. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I guess the key thing is it's the same issues that, that impact upon the non-Indigenous sector with the SME world. So it's issues over cash flow management, technical expertise, um, internal processes and procedures, and understanding how the actual um, business can work and how you can improve it. But what... I find is that you'll have all of those skill sets. It's just being able to flesh them out and bring them to the fore. Okay. So, um, so we've got one question here uh, from Christine Sidney. Uh, well, freshly oh, we do have watches. Your... Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, do it live. Like, it's a bit, you know, hit and miss at the moment. Still getting used to the technology. <laughs> you know, I'm just a, a country boy, so, you know, getting used to it. But, oh, uh, so are we both, <laughs> Yeah, firstly, she wants your business contact details and she wants to know, how do you ensure you don't price yourself out of the market? Uh, so with me or with um, her business? Yeah, I think it, just in general, do you see that much um, within the community or the Indigenous businesses you work with? Yeah, it actually comes down to I offer um, like an hourly rate, a daily rate, a weekly rate uh, mm. with a fixed fee for the engagement itself. And I guess the key thing is, uh, same as you know, I have experience in banking too, yeah. was that you can... If you want to help the client or work with the client, work out what their key needs are. And if you need to alter the engagement to how much they're able to pay, then you do mm. that, right? It's, it's just being able to have that conversation and either you arrive at uh, an agreement or you don't or you find someone that can help. Okay, cool. And your, how was your experience in the, the banking sector? And Because um, obviously there was, a, <laughs> <laughs> there was a banking and financial services Royal Commission recently and um, you know, some shocking things came out of it, which, you know, we knew in community. Um, but, mm, you know, yeah. what, what are the, uh, some of the challenges Indigenous people face, you know, getting financial support and banking loans and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so... 
one would be capital in the first place. So, you know, one of the bank things that banks look at is what's called paying equity. So the amount of mm-hmm. um, capital that you're able to put into um, to fund a transaction um, initially, right? So the issue therefore is that um, if you don't have any money to rub together to, to start with, it's pretty hard to actually <laughs> yeah. get your foot in the door in the first place. Um, the second one I think is, again, I'll just keep on coming back to its cultural competence. You know, I can, I've been in a, a room whereby you've got traditional owners that have tremendous wealth, um, mm. but because of the size of the perspective deal they were dealing with institutional bankers that had a complete inability to be able to communicate with mob and I was the only one in the room that could talk with both parties so it was a good place for me Mm. Um, but it's being able to provide that ongoing communication and service delivery in a manner where everyone's valued and respected. Yeah how is that really for you though like because I don't don't mean to generalize but you know a lot of these (laughs) All of these um, people, uh, especially in the top end um, of the banking mm, industry, yep. you know, a lot of them come from wealthy backgrounds and, you know, like I find it hard to, they don't really have sympathy for, you know, or empathy for what yep. I'm doing. And is that what you mm. you found when trying to deal with uh, Indigenous clients? They just, you know, there were some hidden biases or they just didn't get it? You know, uh, Dan, you're actually asking a leading question there. Um, just, just so you know. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm still getting it, used to this. It, so I'm still learning. So I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. So. Uh, it, it's okay. In short, yes. Um, yeah. But in saying that, you know, I also as an officer in the navy, I might have only been the only black, black face in the wardroom. You know, and it can be, I think, an isolating experience whereby um, y- you are consistently the only indigenous voice or person or body or presence in boardrooms um, in the conversation. And that's really hard. Um, and like you, it can be how do you, for people that have come from um, quite a wealthy background, how, how do they con- conceptualise yeah. um, what it's like to be an Indigenous Australian um, and, and to have the experiences that we've had? I mean, look no further than um, some of the Adam Goods films that have just been released, whether mm. the final quarter or the Australian dream, I think. Um, bring that to the fore or even um, our mate Briggsy uh, talking about the discrimination his family faced in the 80s mm. with being unable to actually purchase a home because no one wanted to sell to Aboriginals. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's massive. And obviously that inter, uh, lack of intergenerational wealth and ability to, you know, get loans mm. and um, get into the uh, economies, you know, really affecting everybody else. So, you know, everybody in community that I know, or well, 90% are living paycheck to paycheck, which is, you know, hard to yep. break break out of that poverty cycle. Yeah, yeah I mean, for me, you know, I was um, first to go to university, um, mm. From a, I think from the extended family, I may or may not, I'll have to <laughs> double-check with the uncles and aunties. I'm sure they'll, they'll let me know straight away after this. But if I wasn't the first to finish high school, I would have been, you know, within the top three or top five. Mm. So, you know, within a generation, that, those opportunities have shifted. But how much? I mean, what we've been hamstrung by, I call it the um, two Cs. So you've got uh, financial capital and then you've got social capital and then you've also got the... Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll substitute a third, um, which is uh, connections as well. So it's mm. you don't have the money, but also you don't have the recognition or to have the backing to get the money in the first place. 
and then you don't have the connections to support the first two points. And so until we can start to address these three factors, I think it'll be harder for us to be able to close the gap. Okay. And you've, so we've touched on, you know, some of the bankers and financial people come from wealthy backgrounds. So don't really have, <laughs> are we coming back to this? This is interesting. <laughs> a leading uh, question. Um, <laughs> but what, what do you think, you know, these, these organisations or some of them have came out and really, you know, um, uh, targeted um, Indigenous people in a bad way, like payday, payday lenders? Or... Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a... That's a question that I think that they would need to reflect on and, mm. and ponder on. Um, it, I, I wasn't involved with that. I, I don't know their internal processes while, while they may have opted to make those decisions and mm. I'd only be engaging in speculation. Yeah. But do you feel that, um, <clears throat> you know, that the, the um, financial and banking uh, Royal Commission was, you know, pretty justified? There's some dodgy people out there and you know, will still take advantage of, you know, Indigenous people? Yeah, of course. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's it, it certainly highlighted um, issues with the financial sector mm. um, and I think it, it was quite targeted and, and rightly so um, with some of the issues that they uncovered and yeah. um, hopefully the government of the day decides to implement most of the recommendations. Um, I, I think the key thing that we can do as a community and um, is improving financial literacy. Um, so that's where Bauer is excellent because you're actually bringing together a whole raft of Indigenous professionals and entrepreneurs um, to be mm. able to share our experiences and help grow the business skill set and address the three C's I mentioned before. Yeah. Do you have any um, personal solutions on how we can um, improve the you know, access to finance and, and that kind of stuff for Indigenous people? Yeah. Um, put you on well, the spot. You now. know, one I think. Yeah, to put me on the spot. Back in the uh, the 19th century, there were a number of um, like community based um, funding structures. Mm. So you had building societies um, and a couple other cooperatives. Okay. Yeah. So if we are going to look at access to finance, then you're starting from the a lot of people from a, from a lower base, um, mm. and that's where you'd be starting. Um, but that's that shouldn't discount the the solid indigenous middle class that's now emerging, um, and also now even upper middle class as well. So how can you get um, some really smart indigenous men and women in the room, and also getting them helping with establishing those structures to make them successful and sustainable? Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And and just um, last question, because I want to keep it, you know, short and sweet, 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so if, if people have uh, problems with their um, financial um, uh, person they're working with or experts, you know, how, yep. what would be the process to try and solve those problems, like, as a customer? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is start off with talking to the actual financial professional you've engaged, right? So have a sit down, go back to the actual terms of reference. They should, depending upon um, the situation, usually mm. you'll have an engagement letter where they'll set out their, their terms and what they can and can't do. Um, now, if you think that they haven't fulfilled them um, and they're not responding to inquiries, then go to their professional body, um, whether that's Charlie Cancer Australia, New Zealand, CPR mm. Australia or... Uh, uh, 
think there's a there's another one that just escapes me, and that's quite serious. That's yeah. very very serious. Um, and they they will respond quickly to you if you if you go that route. Okay, awesome. All right, thanks thanks again for joining us, Matt. Um, Proud and uh, ex Navy officer went into accounting. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, doing amazing things. So thanks again, brother. Thank you very much. And uh, don't discount yourself with establishing Barayamal as well. It's a wonderful uh, project and I'm very proud to be a member as well. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And, you know, I never, just to be clear, I never paid him for anything, you know. That's why I didn't pay you to say that. <laughs> there's, yeah. no, there's no endorsements whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, okay. no endorsements. Have a good day, Dean. You too, bro. Have a good one. All right, cheers.